we have Tom McCarthy on our episode today. And um, Tom McCarthy's kind of one of those guys that's that's done everything at a really high level. Didn't you think, Adam? He was really impressive. He was. Like, like, very, like I was... I honestly didn't know much about him before today and my bad. Cause he's really, really good. Yeah. And so I'm, like, I honestly feel like I missed out on a bunch of, like, I'm like diving into his stuff. now. Yeah. So he was a financial advisor in like the early parts of his career, did that for three years and operated at like a really high level. And then, um, he'll tell the story, but eventually started working directly for Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins made him his head of sales, uh, kind of in the beginning of the Tony Robbins boom. Mm -hmm. Right. Like before they had infomercials and stuff like that. So he ran his leadership training and developmental um, sales content division of his company. Yeah. Then he breaks off, starts his own, mostly focusing on businesses and how to help them be successful. He's written multiple books. His most recent book is The Breakthrough Code. Uh, it comes out in January. Yep. And um, we spent most of this conversation talking about how to have breakthroughs. Yeah, some of the some of the tips and just mental um, like systems that he has in place that we got in toward I feel like kind of the second third mm -hmm. or the last like third of the podcast were so so good. Yeah, I mean I'm like I honestly said at the end I said I'm going to go back through this and list re listen and take notes on it. So guys, literally take notes as you're listening to this. It's that good. Yeah, the biggest takeaway for me was energy and how he uses it. Right, like mm -hmm. he's so intentional with what he does that you can tell that he, the people in his, under his tutelage or mentorship or in the audience when he's speaking, experience exactly what he wants them to experience. So how do you do that, right? And I, that, that part of the conversation was, was fascinating. So on that note, uh, this is Tom McCarthy. The League presents Electric People. Let's be honest. We work with professionals who are deliberate in everything they do. Right there. They They're, pay attention to detail. They pay attention to details, the way they show up, the way that mm -hmm. they prepare. So we all know that they're using some sort of, of body hair trimmer to make sure that they're showing up and presentable the oh, way yeah. they want to be. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, it's 2021. Yes. Everybody has some sort of management system yep. for body hair. Right. So here's the thing. The people at Manscaped support us. Right. They contribute. And I like that. So they've given us a code. It's electric. It'll save 20% on anything that you do. So if you're in this industry and you're a fan of supporting people that support you, get their stuff. You've seen it on Instagram. It's been marketed towards you already because you're in the demographic. Mm -hmm. Do it. It's better. It works. It's 2021. We have a product specifically for our needs. Let's get this done if we haven't already. And if you do have it already, get two because you don't want to be in a world where for some reason you don't have one. Yeah, there's just no reason to. Everyone that's listening, we know what you guys can earn. Just go out and buy a couple of these things. There should never be a time when you're like thinking, oh, no, I wish I had my clippers. You should just always have them with you. That's right. Your car, well, everywhere, suitcases. Let's eliminate this problem together. I agree. As one. Manscaped. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Electric People. We're excited to have Tom McCarthy on the podcast today. How you doing, Tom? Doing great. Good to see you guys. To give the guys a little bit of your background, started as a, as a finance guy on Wall Street, did that at a high level for a number of years, and then transitioned into the Robbins Research Group, where you were asked to run um, sales training for Tony Robbins' company. Uh, what, how did that happen? How do you go from being a, you know, a, a finance guy on Wall Street to transitioning into sales and leadership training? But one of my mentors was a guy by the name of Bob Woodbury. And 
he was a, a big time Wall Street guy. And my dad had passed away when I was three years old. Bob Woodbury is one of my dad's friends. My dad was an army officer, was killed in Vietnam. And he was he was in that world. So I thought, hey, you know, he's successful. We had no money growing up. We had my dad's little pension from being an army officer, but two younger brothers, my mom never remarried. And so I thought my, I thought my job was gonna be the rest of my life being a financial advisor. And then I got into it and I did well, but two, two and a half years into it, I'm like, hey, there's gotta be something different. And I didn't know what it was. It was really hard to figure out, but I knew I didn't wanna keep doing that. So I went and I interviewed to become a sports agent. Now this was before Jerry Maguire and, and where that was glorified, but I thought that would be kind of cool because I'd been a football player in college. And I interviewed and I was making quite a bit of money as an investment advisor and I was going to have to take a huge pay cut and I had owned a couple of houses. I was, you know, 25, 26 years old. So I kept looking. And then one morning I was just not ready to go to work. And I turned on the TV, which I never did back then. And I see this guy, Tony Robbins, and he'd written a book called Unlimited Power. And I'm like, this is cool. I love that concept. And he was talking about all these different people that he'd worked with. And I'm like, whoa, I got to read his book. And literally got it and read it within two days. And, and then I was on the phone with them saying, hey, where, where can I see this guy? Go through one of his trainings. And it was like mm. that weekend. I was on the East Coast. It was going to be in LA, but I flew out there. And kind of the rest is history. You know, met him. And then they asked me to come on and run all of sales and marketing. So I developed their whole sales and marketing effort. Now, this is a long time ago. It was in the late 80s, but I really was the first head of all that. And then uh, after about two, three years, I transitioned and started my own company. So wait a minute. You're telling me that you're watching TV late at night. You see, Tony, you go ahead and get him on the phone. He's probably, you know, a little bag of Tostitos, some salsa, just minding his own business, just winding down, you know. And then the the only difference, difference, guys, it was in the the morning. It was in the morning before before work. Yeah. So he was on the Today Show. It was on the Today Show or something like that. I think I projected the infomercial. (laughs) No, so the infomercials had not even happened yet. This was prior to the infomercial. We had to build him up to the point where the infomercials kicked in. When I first came on board, like now he's got, you know, he's still a good friend of mine, but, you know, online, I think they get, told me got, they got a hundred thousand or something like that in their last big program. But back when I first joined as the head of sales for him, they were getting, you know, three, four, 500 people. And I still remember the time where we, I put together the sales team and we went out and we got a thousand people and and it was like a huge deal. And he was so yeah. excited. He said, wow, I want to give you a big bonus. And I'm thinking, well, okay, I'm going to get a Ferrari, <laughs> a Rolex. I didn't know quite what. I was a young guy. And and the bonus was that he, he said, I'm going to let you do the introduction to the summer. <laughs> Which back then, that sucked, right? Because I didn't want to have to talk to a thousand people. I wasn't used to that. But it, but it was one of the great. Yeah. I'm going to give you some work to do. Yeah. They say that yeah. we just we just had a Navy SEAL on here. And one of the things they say is the the reward for good work is more good work. Like, good job. There Here's another go. thing you can do. You know? Yeah. It was, it was actually a great experience, though, because I I didn't do a good job at it. But it was one of those things that drove me to become a better speaker. And now I've written two books on it and the embarrassment from that day of like literally forgetting everything I was going to say in front of a thousand people sweating, heart pounding, drove me to figure out 
how to do it. And now one of my businesses, we, we help people all over the world become outstanding at communicating their value proposition. It's uh, it's crazy to me because, well, I guess one of the questions is when you, so late 80s, head of sales yeah. for Tony Robbins Research Group, what was the vision like then? Did Because he's so good at like project, you know, like kind of beginning with the end in mind and like really like starting with your like full life's purpose and everything, all, all energy. Right. But what it's become, I mean, there's, I would venture to say there's no way that he envisioned all of this. Like, what was it like in those early days? Was it, Hey, let's run a successful business or we're going to get this group together and we're going to change the world and we're going to, you know, positively influence all these lives. Yeah. I think the the latter, that's why I came on board. That's what I really felt like we're going to, after I went through a training with him, I felt so different than I'd ever felt going through typical trainings. Like one of the big things that, you know, he taught me way back when was, you know, you can change how you think and feel. And when you change how you think and feel, then the whole world around you changes. So I think his vision was huge back then. And, you know, it's probably gotten much, much bigger as he's yeah. grown, uh, but it was massive back then. And that's what, that's what brought me into his organization and why I'm still a, you know, he and I are still great friends. I love what he's doing. I love his mission, his vision, and, you know, I do whatever I can to support him. Well, shortly after um, joining that group, you went on to develop your own uh, peak performance group and leadership mentoring group. You've written books, you're a speaker, you're a, you're a consultant. I've seen your YouTube videos on various different um, pieces. So how long, how long were you with that group before you branched off and started your own thing? And how did that come to be? Yeah, I was involved in helping run Tony's company for about three years. And then later on, I still, I taught part of his master university uh, for him in the late 1990s into the early 2000s. And, and then we still do some work together. You know, he, he and I were working on a project recently uh, with another group of investors to buy a, a big brand, which uh, is still in place, so I can't mention it, but it's a very prestigious business brand. So we still do a lot of things together, but I did that for about three years. And then I decided, so back then we were doing, you know, big public seminars, which he still does. And what I got interested in, though, was working with companies, with corporations. And so I left and on very good terms, you know, he's uh, even after that. I mean, we're still very close friends. He was in my wedding, which I got married after I left. I actually met my wife at his house. So lots of lots of good things. But uh, I wanted to work with some of the big companies out there. And so we've got clients now over the years, a lot of the biggest tech companies are our clients, Cisco Systems, Microsoft, Salesforce, a lot of the big financials, uh, Wells Fargo, MetLife. And that really has been my focus. So I've not been up until recently, I've been more B2B and we train people all over the world, but it's for corporations. Now, more recently, uh, I, I just hosted a huge summit with 50,000 people, which is more B2C. And then my newest book is really designed for the masses. It's called The Breakthrough Code. So let's, walk, Yeah, go I was going to say, walk us through. So, you know, we run these big sales teams all over the country doing direct-to-home sales. And yeah. when we were talking before we started, you mentioned, you know, the new book coming out. And it's actually, I would argue, maybe... Um, the single most important thing that our sales reps go through on a daily basis because they're out by themselves in a neighborhood, knocking doors, you know, rarely are the conditions perfect. It's normally, sure. you know, hot, cold, they're, 
personal life is a mess. Just something's going on. Right. So, um, in to make a sale, you need to have, you know, a, a good state of mind. So, um, we'll have guys that get really hot, they get really streaky. And then we'll have guys that will go weeks without making a sale. Like how do you break out of that funk? And I'm assuming that that's yeah. kind of the concept behind the book. It is. And the book is really, so I'm 60 years old. You know, I've, I've been that person that, you know, streaky in my twenties and didn't really know how to get out of the funk or the, or the, you know, the, the, whatever I was stuck in. And, but over the years, what I've done, you know, watching people like Tony Robbins, having my own successes in many different businesses that I've had, because outside of the training industry, I've started up uh, software companies. I've started up a uh, chain of restaurants that we just sold prior to COVID, thank God. Uh, we've had all sorts of insurance agency that I owned uh, a piece of. So a lot of different businesses. And what what you just said is absolutely true. The mindset is so critical. The Breakthrough Code really has three big ideas, and two of them are primarily focused on the way that we use our mind, and, and particularly the, the subconscious or su what I call superconscious mind. So big idea number one is focus on less and then obsess. If you're going to create a breakthrough in your life, you can't do it in 50 different areas. You really have to focus in on a couple big results, no more than three, and, and then obsess on those three things. But when I say obsess, a lot of people go, well, what do I got to think about it 24 hours a day? No. What you do is you decide the areas you want to create a breakthrough in. And then what we're going to do is show people what we do in the book is we show people how to create a subconscious obsession. Because I, I don't know, Ty, do you know uh, how many bits of information your conscious mind can process per second? Any idea? This is something that I'm always trying to remember because I read this in yeah. The Happiness Advantage and okay. I got mixed up. But I want to say, what are you taking in? The number 20,000 sticks in. Are you taking 20,000 in and you can only consciously like articulate a couple hundred or something? So the answer yeah. is no, Tom, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you're not bad. That was pretty close. That's pretty good. So you, you, your conscious mind can process 40 bits of information per second. When you think of that, that's pretty impressive. Like one second, you know, 40 things. Come on. I like that you said I was close. That wasn't yeah. that incessant rambling. Was I trying to be that positive? Yeah, yeah, I, try, I, I, I like keep, you. This guy criticizes me. You keep me going. Yeah, no. he's like, you're way <laughs> off. You screwed it up. And then... And then your super, I could, it's, people call it your subconscious or your unconscious. Some people call it, but I call it your super conscious because I think it's incredibly conscious. It's processing so many different things. It has access to things outside of your body, but it can process 40 million bits of information per second. Now, a lot of it or some of it is taken up by, you know, making sure that the right chemicals are being secreted so that you're healthy, it's pumping your heart, it's reminding you to breathe, it's doing all these different things, but it is a super, super computer. And the, the conscious mind's okay, but that's what a lot of people are trying to achieve breakthroughs with, is just with their conscious mind, what they think their mind is. And there's another whole part that you can access and so that's what we teach people to do. That's where we want the obsession being. Your superconscious doesn't sleep. Your conscious mind goes to bed, right? When you go to bed, your conscious mind's not consciously thinking about things. Your superconscious is still processing whatever you've driven down in it. And here's the thing. 
everybody's using it already. People that are stuck or they're in a funk, they're absolutely using their superconscious, but their superconscious is producing the funk. It's been programmed to keep them where they are. And so what we want to show people how to do, and we wrote it in a kind of an allegory, a parable, is to show them how to take that journey to get unstuck. And then as you get unstuck in one area, it doesn't mean your life's perfect. It's, then you find that next area that's going to allow you to have that big breakthrough where ultimately people learn, I hope, to live a life without limits, meaning that where they notice a limit, they can go destroy it and move to the next phase. But the, the first big idea is you got to You've got to be more of a laser. You've got to focus on fewer, more important things and then create a super conscious obsession. And for each of these big ideas, and we can go through them uh, in this conversation, we have habits associated with that that allow you to be able to implement the big idea. How do you, how do you recognize that you're heading toward a slump? Like, is there a way? Because I see, I see some of our best reps um, you know, the slump doesn't happen when, when the zeros start showing up on the scoreboard, the slump starts usually like a week or two before then with yeah. some poor decisions they're making along the way or habits they're changing. So like, how does one recognize that they're heading down a slippery slope in toward a, a slump? Yeah. A lot of it I think is just the patterns built within people. Like some people, will be heading towards a slump as they're becoming more successful because they've got a belief system, a pattern that's built in, in them that it can't always be this good, right? You know, if it's this good, then then, then I, a slump must be on its way. You know, it's almost like they have a temperature gog. You, you guys know all this stuff, right? Where if they go too far above where they're comfortable, they'll pull themselves back down. So that could be it, right? You know, it, it could be nothing to do with what's happening outside of them. It's just like they're starting to make a little too much money, you know, more than the belief systems or the stories. You know, we, we say like our second big uh, idea is upgrade your story, upgrade your life. They may have a story that, wow, you know, it's not possible to continue on this level of success. And a lot of our stories, unfortunately, are not even ones we've created, you know, from ages zero to seven. We're not we don't, our conscious mind is basically in a alpha state. It's almost like in a daydreaming state. So all our parents' beliefs, we're just accepting as truth. And so if our parents never were very successful financially or they struggled, then we accept that as true. And some of these stories will continue the whole life of a, a human being, unless we have one of our habits, let go of your old baggage. So one of the things we try and do when, when we know that we're feeling a little uncomfortable or we're, we're losing our passion, we say, all right, what's behind that? What's the baggage behind that? What's the part of the story, the belief, the memory that we can let go of? And once you learn this code, you get really good at identifying pretty quickly when you're headed for a slump. And then the other thing I would just say, though, is a slump is not always a bad thing. It can be a great teacher. The frustration that it creates, the, you know, just the, the feeling that this is not what I want sometimes is the lesson people need to be able to break out of it if they use that correctly. The universe is always working for you. So 
a slump is is sometimes a very very positive thing. I mean, I can look at times when I was slumping, and they are the they've been some of the biggest motivators for me in my life to get to where I am right now because I just got so unhappy with where I was. I have a something you said earlier about your your programming and how a lot of that comes. You know, it's not even conscious. You don't get to choose your story. It's just something that, that, you know, gets almost like someone installed it on your computer kind of a thing. Right. So let's, let's be open for a second. You can do a little diagnosis on me or whatever. So I hear, I hear like, okay, you got to drop, you got to drop the, the, what, what was the phrasing that you used? Drop the baggage. Yeah, your old baggage. Yeah, sure. So all these things, like whenever I read it, I'm like, yes, yes. You know, highlight it. This is true. Share it, screenshot it, whatever. And it, and it's great. So few people actually, like, I can tell that when you say this stuff, you believe it, you've experienced it, you've obviously created a life you're really excited about and proud of. But a lot of people, like, they hear it, it makes sense, but they just can't, maybe the languages get it into their subconscious mind. So here's an example. As you were talking, I distinctly remember um, a situation I had when I was a kid where my dad, who my dad's, you know, he climbed the corporate ladder, he's in the banking world. We, We didn't have a lot of money when I was young, but we were always provided for and then um, he's really successful now. Mm-hmm. He's always been successful. He just, the money matches it now. Sure. Um, and I saw his paycheck when I was a kid. He showed it to me and, you know, I was just interested or whatever. And one of the things that my dad did to like, now I see it as being a good steward is he would say stuff like, oh, I can't, I can't afford that. I can't do that. When really he could, right? Like we made enough money to like, but he was being a good steward and saving and probably trying to teach me that, hey, you don't just buy whatever you want, right? Yeah. So in my brain... I always knew that I was going to earn well. I don't know why, but like, and I hope that doesn't sound arrogant or whatever, but I remember like when I was 15, like having a conscious thought that like, I'm going to earn a lot of money. Like I'm going to do well. I don't know Mm -hmm. what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do well. But then I also notice in me, I have that, Hey, we got to like, be careful. We got to like not buy because like, I'm going to run out, which is like such like, it's such a dichotomy, right? Like it's like, Okay, I have this core belief that I will be successful. I also, if I'm being really honest, somewhere picked up this programming of scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. So there's some baggage for you to dissect. But <laughs> what, well, how, hey, do you, how do you go about picking up the good and maybe reframing the bad? Yeah, but what I like is that you're introspective and that's what it takes. You've got to really look at, like when I feel a little bit uncomfortable with something, like maybe I'm, you know, uh, had a time in my life where all of a sudden it's like, okay, life is really, really good. Like, you know, geez, I'm making, well, even this year, like this year I've had several investments just explode. Like I'll, I'll, uh, I'm, we, we took a company public in January and, you know, made a lot of money, right? We've got two more companies that we're going to take public through special acquisition companies, so we're, we're taking them public and then we acquire non-public entities. But, you know, on the New York Stock Exchange, on the NASDAQ, it's been really exciting. I invested in a company in, uh, actually, you guys would like it. It's in energy storage. But I invested in that in March and then at a, at a $200 million valuation. And then they just announced like two months ago, they're going public at 1.8. So I got 9x on my money in that company. And there was, it was almost like, hey, wait a minute. This is like too many good things happening right now. Like, what the heck is going on? And I had to sit down. And what I do when I notice that, I go, look, I don't want that crap in my head that it's too good. And so I I, I sit down in this chair right here. 
And I, I get rid of that old baggage. I've got several techniques I can, you know, I can share with you guys a couple, but sure. I literally get rid of that because if I'm holding on to that, that's a form of scarcity too. If yeah. I'm holding on to that, first of all, it's taking up energy. Like you talk about, you know, the, hey, we got to be careful. Now, listen, you don't want to go blow all your money because there's people that have made a lot of money and done that, but there's a better way of thinking about it. Because when I do, when I have lots of money, like, yeah, I can go buy fun things, but as you as you've heard i like to invest and so it's not like you know i'm thinking scarcity we got to be careful i'm thinking what can i invest in what can i what can i grow this money with so it's a different way of thinking about it but the introspection part is really important because i think most people they just keep running the same pattern they've got no clue to even notice what you just noticed hi which is really great hey i'm running a pattern that i learned from my dad and your dad was trying to help you but you, you don't need that pattern anymore. You've probably been a good steward. And now it's, you, you know, when you let go of that, you free up energy to grow and to expand. And that's really the key. So how do you, how do you keep breaking through these mental hurdles? Because I remember, um, I mean, I came from a family where we weren't making a whole lot of, like yeah. my parents were making a whole lot of money. And I remember the first time I made like a hundred thousand dollars in a year. And yeah. I, no one in my family had had done that except maybe my older brother who I wasn't yeah. involved in like his finances or whatever, right? So and then it was like the first time you make two hundred grand in a year. And then I remember mm -hmm. looking back and being like, There's never gonna be a time in my life that I don't make at least a hundred to hundred and fifty grand a year. Sure. Because I now I know how to do it. You know? Yeah. And before I didn't. And then I remember thinking someone who makes a million dollars a year probably has that same mindset. There'll never be a time in my life when I'll make less than a million a year because I know how to do it. Yeah. But what if you don't have anyone to show you how to do it? Or what if you've never done it? Like, how do you continue breaking through those mental ceilings of, you know, feeling like you can break into a new like level of income or, yeah. you know, maybe it's, maybe it's a, a, a level at your work that you're trying to break into? Like, how do you continue breaking through those? Well, I, I love what you said, Adam. Uh, I, I tell people I, that I believe it's easier to go from a million, let's say net worth, not just income, but from a million to 10 million that it, that, than it is to go from wherever you are to a million. Because once you figure it out, like Jim Rohn, there's a guy, there's a guy Rohn that used to become a millionaire, you know, for the money, do it to become the kind of person that can generate that kind of wealth. That's really, to me, that's the game of money. It's not to, you know, say I've got this amount of money. It's to, number one, prove what I believe that there's unlimited wealth. There's a friend of mine, Paul Pilzer, you guys might know him. He wrote a book called, uh, I think it was called Unlimited Wealth. You know, it was, it was like wealth is something that is very, very easy to acquire when you understand the game. Because it's just adding more value, right? In the same amount of time, just figuring out a way to add more value. And uh, Buckminster Fuller said, you can go to the ocean with a teaspoon and take out water. You can go with a you know, big, massive bucket and the ocean doesn't care. There's going to be more water coming into that ocean every day. So with wealth, that was something that I had to get over. A lot of people see it as a zero-sum game. If I win, you lose. It's not, that's not true, though. If I win, you win. 
And so where do you find people to be role models? You might not have anybody directly in your family. I didn't. I didn't have any wealthy people in my family, but I found lots of people that were very wealthy, either directly or through reading books and or watching now, you know, YouTube videos. There's so many. Now, a lot of them are fake gurus that, you know, that will say they've done things and they've, you know, flash in the pan. Maybe they've done something in a short period of time. So be careful who you follow. I think decide on your principles by people who have consistently done it, uh, right? In 2021, like I kind of told you about some of my successes, but you know what? If you're not making money in 2021 from your investments, like what the hell are you doing? Because it's so easy right now. You know, people have not gone through the 2008s and the 2000 with the, with the internet bust, you know, find people that have kind of done it over time and follow those people. Because even with my investments, here's what I've learned. I've made, I've made several mistakes where I've lost lots of money, where I invested in a concept that was led by someone who had never really done it before. When I say done it, had a huge success. Now, whenever I invest a large amount of money, I'm investing in the person as much as I am in the concept because I know they've figured it out. Like wealth is abundant and anybody's ability to create wealth is abundant. They have to figure it out inside first though, before they have access to all that. I love this stuff, by the way, this is like, you're, you're in the zone of, this is probably helping a lot of people because so much of, it's almost like that with, you know, you say you're investing in the person and they'll figure out what it takes to be successful. Um, That's kind of what it takes in our industry is we can teach most people how to say the things you need to say, or, you know, the, the, the technicalities of how the product works and stuff. What we're investing in is the type of people that will invest in themselves to figure, like become the type of person that figures this out and then attach whatever product to it that you need to go sell. So, um, how much of this same principle is applicable to teams? So if a team is looking for a breakthrough, I mean, you spent, before we even talked about any uh, tool to break yeah. through, you talked about the mentality behind it. And okay, well, I'd have to know what you're thinking to really understand what you're doing. Do you see the same things with teams? Do they adopt certain beliefs and and cultures yeah. accidentally that and and what what can they do to break through yeah absolutely that's a great that's a great question and a lot of the work that we do with uh with teams and leadership is really helping teams create a culture so the first big idea in the breakthrough code is focus on less than obsess the second big idea is upgrade your story upgrade your life and it's designed more for an individual but every team has a story. The culture of the team is their story. It's who they think they are, what they think they're capable of, what it means to be on this team. And we help people create the team's story, which is the culture. And, and what I like to do with, uh, with teams is to create a mantra. So we have you know, basically three, we, we help them. First of all, the thing we do is we say, all right, if you're going to hire somebody that would be a kick-ass performer on your team, what would the behaviors you would want to see in them? So it's not about skin color or, or male, female, or, or however they identify. It's not about race. It's not where they're from. How, they, how do they behave? How do you want people to behave as they go about working with their team, 
with customers doing what they do. And we typically list, you know, like 30, we'll brainstorm. We go, all right, we can't have 30 things. So let's see which go together. And there might be something like grit and then, you know, commitment. We go, okay, well, let's bucket those together. And we create basically three, three buckets and we try and see which ones, which ones can we put together into each of those three buckets. And then eventually what we'll do is we'll come up with everything can fit into three. And by the way, why do you think I like the number three, Adam? It's so, probably just something that's easy to remember. Yeah, well, exactly. Because I'll, I'll go into companies. I'll go, hey, I was with a company a few weeks ago. And I talk, I was talking to the CEO before I came in. And I said, you know, do you have a culture? He goes, yeah, you know, we, we got some values. I said, how many do you have? He goes, we got like six. And I said, uh, well, what are they? And he's like, um, you know, I give out awards for them every month. Yeah, he didn't know what they were. And, and they were good, but he didn't know what they were. And I guarantee you if the CEO doesn't know who they are, what they are, that nobody on the team knew. And so you've got this culture that's going unlived. It's on, it's on the wall somewhere, but no one's acting on it. I want a culture, you want a culture, where people know exactly what we're asking them to do. We're actually we're not just giving out an award each month, but we're giving them positive feedback, rewarding them when they do it. When they're not, we're coaching them up. If they can't do it ultimately, then maybe we have to coach them out because we want to stay true to our culture. But the number three is, is even when we teach people to design a message or a presentation, we say no more than three big ideas because that's all people will remember. And it's all you're going to remember too if you're the one delivering it. So three big ideas. And then we create quirky little phrases uh like mine in one of my one in my culture in my company one of the things we say well the number the first one is we always play big so if you're going to come on my team and work with me you got to be someone who plays big because we don't want to play small uh someone was doing some some work for us and helping design some training years ago not design it but take it and create a workbook and she was like dumbing it down and i said hey what are you doing you're taking all the the, you're taking the heart out of it. You're taking the energy out of it. She says, well, Tom, she said, you know, if one of your facilitators is having a bad day and they're maybe having a headache or something like that, you know, we got to make sure that they can still do this. I go, hey, if one of my facilitators has a headache, they better get their rear end in gear, you know, and take an aspirin if you need to, but you're not going to play at a level below what we play at. We always play yeah. big. The second one is we eat pressure for breakfast. That's what I always told my kids. You know, in the McCarthy house, we eat pressure for breakfast. Not everything's going to go right today. you got to love pressure. you got to thrive under pressure. So I've got a bunch of people that just, they doesn't matter what happens. They just thrive under the pressure of delivering and, and going into situations where it's not always, you don't always know what's going to happen. And then the third one that we have, and just to, just to show you their quirky statements is, um, you know, we, we spread the love. And one of the things that, happened years ago was um, we came up with this this kind of phrase that we, we had was uh, you got to love them up. Like you get a people in a room and they're going to learn from you, you got to love them up. You got to make them feel good. So it, Ty, you even mentioned it, like even when you weren't exactly on what what I was looking for in that answer of the conscious mind, I said, hey, pretty close, right? So we always were just pumping people up and, and then we're showing them ways to improve. So it's not just all positive feedback. But the culture has to have some staying power. Little sentences, like all my people on my team, you know, we say, hey, did you play big today? Uh, did you eat some pressure? Did you love them up? 
So our culture is something that we live every single day because it's quirky and memorable. The thing I like about each of those things is they're textable, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if someone's like, yeah, we have 11 core values and their industriousness and, <laughs> and, and, you know, honor and whatever. First of all, I love the idea of grouping them together because a lot of times I'll look at a team's values and I'm like, okay, well, three of those are kind of the same kind of, you know, <laughs> yeah. like stewardship and like leadership. And maybe there's another way to do that, but textable, like it's so easy for you to send a message maybe to someone on your team that's struggling it says, Hey, play big. Oh yeah. That's yeah. who I am. Right. Or like, yeah, Hey man, exactly. eat this pressure. Like you got it. It reminds me, we have a, we have a team on, um, they call themselves the contenders. So if you looked at our org, you'd love it. It's like, uh, it's built, it's called the league, right? That's our internal yeah. brand. And cool. there are all these different, there's 60 something sales teams. They all have their own coach. They recruit internationally. We compete against each other. So really sports based kind of fun culture, but all of the teams are so different. So like, I remember one time, uh, I went to a, a Broncos game and they were playing the Raiders and it's like, mm-hmm. can you get two more different cultures in uh, the same stadium, you know? And people that are Raiders know what it means to be a Raider and Broncos know what it means to be a Bronco. And I found so much impact in saying, okay, a lot of leaders have great ideas. Those are great values. Do a little more work and think about if we're out working at 5 p.m. on a Saturday and it's 105 degrees out in the Mojave Desert and you're selling solar and you want to quit. If someone's like, hey, industriousness. Yeah. But what if you just say like, hey, man, play big or... You know, one of our teams breakfast. Yeah, we pressure one of our one of our teams is the contenders. They're out in Bakersfield, California. They've got this amazing brand. And, you know, their their icon is this old like 1930s style boxer. It's got like this underhand stance and you just they're just scrappy in Bakersfield. Yeah. And, you know, one of our guys is going through a life difficulty, like just a difficult time Mm -hmm. in his life and family. And I was actually just up there the other day and his license plate says contender one. And I remember talking oh, yeah. to him. He's like, well, I can do this. I'm a contender. I've got this. And I was like, what an amazing brand mm. because yeah. you run this team and you're part of the team, but because you believe this, it's changing your behavior. It's pulling up your bootstraps. Yeah. But if it was like, yeah. oh, we believe in always well, the, effort, it's not the same, you know? Well, and the word means so many things. It's You're never out of the fight. You're yeah. out, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, yeah. so that's, a, that's, yeah. a, that's when you know it's a good mantra or a good, you know, part of your core value. Right. So yeah. it's interesting. You were going to say when you were talking about the threes, one of our, one of our directors gave a training on um, using more rhetoric when they're giving mm-hmm. their presentations. I'm sure you mm-hmm. use a ton of it when you're doing your presentations, but even as some, the power of three is a big part of rhetoric and yeah. even as simple as when you walk into a room. So now whenever I go in front of a, a team and I address the team, I'll always say, all right, I need everybody to sit up, grab something to take notes with, and I want you to put your uh, put your phones down. And everyone mm-hmm. like sits up tall, they grab a pen <laughs> and paper, and they put their phones down. And it's like those like three little things just like command attention really quick. Yeah. And it's like something really easy to do. But That's right. Um, Bruce, I'm sure you said, I, I need everyone to sit up straight. What, what did you say? Get your pen, uh, get your pen yeah, out. Say, you say, hey, everybody, sit up straight, grab a pen and paper, put your phones down. And then like if you three. added four more things to it, they'd be like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> uh, like, yeah. This highly <laughs> complex brain just can't also yeah. make sure your shoes are tied and that you're sitting next to yeah. someone new. Yeah. Like, or if, yeah. Or if you walk in, you say, Hey everybody, you know, I'm happy to be here or whatever. It's like, 
that's much different. But if the first thing yeah. out of your mouth, right when you walk up, you're like, Hey everybody, I need everyone to sit up straight, grab something yeah. to take notes with, put your phone away. Everyone's like, dang, yeah. like it's, I like just like old- that your sales teams have paper and pencils who, where do they get those from? Or like you say, at the local you say something else. I'll even tell, I'll just say what I've started saying is I'll say, Hey everyone, I need you to sit up straight, get your phones out, but open up the notes on your phone. We're going to take some notes yeah. and then yeah. I want you to write down, you know, three yeah. things you learned today, like yeah. just something like yeah. that. So, well, yeah, that's the other thing we do in, in all our trainings at the end of the training, we always, you know, depending upon the size of the group, sometimes we just do a sampling, but we say, write down not just what you learn like what are you committed to doing different you know you spent this time together like most meetings we, we did research on meetings and we said that our people told us that only 14 percent of meetings that they attend caused them to take an action that they wouldn't have taken if they if they wouldn't have attended that meeting so 86 percent of the meetings the average person attends they'd sit they sit through a meeting they hear some stuff Maybe even some things they like, and then they leave and they don't do anything different in their life. And so I, I love the fact that you're having people identify. What we do is we say, right, write down your top two commitments. What, what are you going to do once you leave here, based upon what you've thought about or learned or heard today, what, what are you going to do that's going to make your life better, make you more successful? And then we, say, we ask them to write, write down their top two. And then we say, circle your number one. Like you've got two, you're going to do both. You committed to them. Commitment means you're going to do it, not just write it down. But what's which one's going to have the biggest impact? And then literally what we'll do, if it's small enough group, we'll have everybody stand up and tell the rest of the group, what are they going to do? And so their, their likelihood of doing it goes way up. If we have a large group, you know, we might ask just five or six people. But you start doing that with your teams. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a higher level of accountability. And also, think about meetings as a way to drive action, not just to educate, not just to share a new idea, not just to get together. All that's great, but how can we drive an action that's going to make us more successful? Tom, are you a, uh, are you a big routine person, like a morning routine person? I am. I wasn't always, but you know, I basically research shows that 95% of what we do in a day is habitual. And so one of the things that we, we, we talk about is to create habits, habits that allow you to be more successful. And then eventually, though, you may have to upgrade even your habits because the habits that I had, you know, 15 years ago probably aren't the ones that I need today. But in my routine, my morning routine has changed, it changed even recently. So, yeah, yeah I am, I'm big on that. The way you start it would, your it day. It would have blown my mind day. if you would have said, nah, not really. I just kind of wake up when I, I mean, I, I was all willy nilly with his I morning routine. I wish I routine. could say that. I wish <laughs> I could right. say that. That'd there be, there may be, be a time easy, for that. Right? Um, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think that's really important, uh, you know, like a dynamic routine. If you wouldn't mind sharing it with us and maybe what are times to change it, right? Like, you, you mentioned yeah. you just changed it recently. Well, I, I don't know if I just changed it recently, but, uh, but, yeah, I, I try always, I'm always studying. I'm always learning. I'm trying to integrate new and better things yeah. that supersede the power. I don't want to let go of something just because, you know, I've been doing it a while. Some things I've been doing for a long time, I still use. The morning is particularly right when you wake up. It's one of the best times to program your superconscious. You're in an alpha state. The conscious mind is not, you know, oh, you can't do that, right? It's a little bit still groggy, sleepy, right? It's it's been sleeping all night. The superconscious is always awake. It's like, you know, tell me something. The superconscious too, by the way, the subconscious, what we're talking about, it's just trying to please you. 
Like whatever you tell, you go, oh, you know, I got to be careful. There's scarcity out there. It's going to, yeah, okay, we'll make sure we do that for you, Ty. If you say, you know what, there's there's tons of opportunities today, you know, find me the best opportunities. I'll go, okay, we'll get on it. So the super conscious is like a child that's just trying to please you. It doesn't judge good or bad. If you say, as a matter of fact, if you say, I can't do this, guess what happens? The super conscious makes sure you will not do it. Mm-hmm. One of the great sayings that we had, you know, that I've traced back to my time with Tony Robbins was, if you can't, you must. We didn't believe in saying can't. We say, if you say you can't do something, you got to figure out a way to do it now because we didn't believe in limits. And then the second part was, if you must, if you make it a must, you'll find a way because your super conscious will figure it out. There's always a way. That's what Tony Robbins used to tell me. There's always a way. Most people quit before they find it, but there's always a way. So my first habit in the morning is when I wake up, I just, I lay in bed and I've got three, at any point in time, I've got three breakthrough results, no more than three, but I just go through envisioning those results. And I've got this process called see, feel, believe, and then let go. So I make sure I can see it clearly. And then I want to feel it. The superconscious doesn't understand just words. That's why most affirmations don't work. People, you know, say the words, the superconscious is like, what are you saying? The superconscious understands pictures. So if you can visualize, like I've worked with four athletes that have won Olympic gold medals. I've worked with world champions. The thing I'm trying to get them to do is to see something before it happens, the same way leaders or salespeople. So you want to see it, see it clearly. And clearly might not mean, you know, 4K, but see some form of vision that, that, that for you, some people are better at visualizing than others. I've gotten better at it the more I've gone, but really work on seeing it clearer and clearer and then feeling it. Like, what does it feel like to have this new income or net worth or success? Like, what would you be feeling like? You know, what would you be seeing if you had already achieved it? And then believing it, feeling of certainty. Can you believe it? If you can't do those three things, you're not ready for it yet. You won't get it. There's no surprises. You're only getting what you're already seeing, feeling, and believing. So that's the first little test, like, can I make a breakthrough? If you can't see it, you can't feel it, you can't believe it, then you're not, you're not ready to make the breakthrough. You haven't raised your energy level. And then once you can see, feel, and believe, then your job after you see it, you feel it, you, you believe it, is to let it go. Let the superconscious, trust the superconscious to find the opportunities. Now, you're still going to be taking actions during the day, but you're not obsessing over that result every single minute. So that, that's one of the big habits. And by the way, I do that before I go to bed too. That's the other really good time. And then I, I always do some form of uh, moving of energy in my body, whether it's it's a physical exercise. I also do Qigong. A good friend of mine is a Qigong master. I, I, I have this process where, you know, take a cold shower for a minute or two. So I've got different things I do that just kind of challenge me and, and get me ready to go eat some pressure that day. So I like to eat a little pressure too. do something that's going to be a little bit tough in the morning. You ever wake up and you're just not on your A game? Probably 75% of the time. Mm-hmm. But my, my job, and I tell people, it's not like, it's not like I always wake up and I'm on my A game and but if I have a training to do, or I've got something to do. My job is to get on my A game. I can't come in. Hey, I'm not on my A game today. 
It's like, well, get on your gosh darn A game, dude. Let's yeah. go. We're paying you some money to do this thing. And so changing how you feel is your job in the morning. That's why everything I do in the morning is to really get myself feeling great where I can go out and be my very best that day. I went to a Tony Robbins event in Boston uh, probably two or three years ago, and Tom Brady mm-hmm. spoke at it as well. And yeah. um, one of the takeaways I had was just one sentence he said toward the very end, but he said, when you come and see me, you know you're going to get my very best every single yeah. time. And yeah. Um, and then he talked about, you know, that quote that um, Kobe Bryant had had said where uh, someone asked him, you know, why do you, you know, how do you bring your A game every single time you play? And he goes, because I know that there's at least one person in the arena that it's the first time they've ever seen me play. And I want them to go home thinking to themselves, I just watched the greatest player to ever play basketball. So, yeah. and it's like, you know, that was like his mindset every time he'd play a game. Right. So love that. I yeah. think it's cool, but it's like little sayings and little thoughts like that. Those are, I think what helps you kind of like get in the right mental frame of mind for anything. It's like, if you're heading out to a sales call, like I'll have those thoughts sometimes where I'm like, all right, I need to pretend that I'm heading to the arena and someone's seeing me for the very first time ever. And I got to bring my A game today. You know, like you can still yeah. have those thoughts that help you kind of get out of those funks or, you know, a bad state of mind. But, um, and I wanted to kind of ask you, like, do you have personal systems in place where if you find yourself kind of in a mental funk where you're like, all right, like I got to snap out of it. Like, do you have like a, yeah. A, a 60 second routine you do to kind of like yeah. snap out of your, you know, just groggy phase you're in. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so, you know, and what, as you were talking, I was relating it to your business where you've got sales representatives that, that do, you know, a lot of the same things every day. And they're probably in front of, you know, five, six, seven families. And, and they might get blown out in one, and now they got to go to the next one. And when you get blown out, you know the natural tendency is to kind of not feel good, right? To get uh, to get into a state where you feel a little defeated, rejected. And the natural thing for people to do is stay in that state for the next call, even though it's completely different, totally different opportunity. They drag that old feeling, that old story, into the next opportunity. And when you go in and you're performing at a level that's not your best, then you're pretty much dictating that it won't be as successful. You may get lucky, but it won't be as successful. So what a couple of things I think that are helpful for, for your reps and, and for everybody. Uh, one of the habits we have in Focus on Less Than Obsess is if you really want your super conscious to create a, a true obsession, connect this result that you're trying to accomplish with something inside of you. And the most powerful thing to connect it to is your life purpose, the reason you're here on this planet. You know, Mark Twain said the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. And every single one of us has a purpose. My purpose, I do believe, is to, is to help people step into their greatness. And so when I show up to give a training, I'm not just coming to get a paycheck or or even when I'm trying to, let's say I'm in a business development meeting with a big company, I'm not just there to try and sell them. I'm there to try and change the lives of these human beings. Your sales reps, if they just look at, you know, okay, I got to go sell this person some solar, 
that's going to have a very weak impact on their ability to rise up. But if they go in there, like, you know, Elon Musk, you know, everything he had to go through with Tesla, he, he did it because he had this passion where he felt like his purpose is to save the planet. And so all the times where they were almost out of money and things weren't working well for, for, for that company, you know, he stayed in there. Now he's the wealthiest person on the planet. So connecting to something inside of you, you know, realize that all your people, when they're going out to talk to these families, they're really going out there to help that family and help the planet. Like, you know, but they're not thinking that a lot of times. They're like, oh, you know, I got rejected last time. Why can't people see that this is, you know, the way to go? And they go into that. So the, the first I thing need, I would say I need is this cell to pay my bills. Like they're thinking about themselves. Yeah, that's the worst thing to go in with. I need, I need this sale. Like when we, and I'll take you through my little mantra, but uh, one of the things that we always try and remind people of is you're there to help other people. You're not doing the presentation for you. You're not doing the presentation to, to pay your, (laughs) pay your rent or your mortgage. You're doing the presentation to help people. You literally have to get off you and you've got to, and we say this is a different topic, but I wrote a book called Win the Presentation Game. And we say you need a visionary outcome for every presentation. And so what is your vision? Your vision is should be the exact same thing they have, whatever their vision is. Their vision is to you know, save money on, elect- you know, on their electric bills so that they can enjoy life and, and have more money to do fun things. That becomes your vision, right? Your vision is not going into you know, have them buy my product. Your vision is to help them save money. Your vision is to help them uh, lower the impact on the environment, whatever it is, like something that's helpful, that's helping them get to where they want to go. That's what sales really is. It's helping that person get to where they want to go using your product or service. And then when you do that, obviously you're going to, you're going to make a lot of money, be successful, but you're coming in with a different vibe. Now, when you get knocked off your vibe, that's always a good thing to to think about it. And by the way, I ask people too, like, what's the difference between being nervous and excited? Ty, I haven't asked you a question in a while. What's the difference between being nervous and excited? Um, excited, you're like in anticipation of it and nervous. Yeah. It's almost like you're dreading it. Yeah. And it's almost the same feeling. Yeah. What's it's just channeled. It's just one. In my yeah. yeah, but one's maybe fear-based and the other one is like eager. Like if I'm excited, I yeah. like I had a, I had a, a mentor once when we were knocking doors that um, told me that he could tell like how he was thinking if he was in the right frame of mind by what he does at yellow lights. Because if you're excited to get to an, uh, an appointment, yeah. you gas it. And if you're, <laughs> if you're, if you're nervous, <laughs> you break, you take the extra second, right? Yeah, 100% true. And so when people feel these feelings, oh, I'm a little bit nervous, like we asked them just to flip it to excitement because it's almost the same, the, the same things are happening in your body. It's if you're nervous, you're seeing it not going well. If you're excited, you see it going well. There's only, there's, there's only two major states of mind that you show up in, two modes you show up in to every every communication that your people have with a potential customer, they're, they're either going to be in, in protective mode because they're afraid something might not go right, which is fear-based. That's anxiety. That's nervousness. That's fear. Or they're in growth mode where they want to grow. They want to help people. Mm-hmm. They want to they see things proceed. And we get to choose which of those modes we're in. So what I have is I, and I show, I, I 
can't show it now because I can't share my screen with you guys. But I have a little mantra before I go in to speak. And even though I've been doing this for a long time and I don't get nervous or things like that, I still do this little mantra. And it starts off with, I've got uh, three chunks. So I've got what I call my optimal performance thoughts. This is what we teach in the Breakthrough Code. It's your story. It's My mantra is my story. And so I've got my optimal performance thoughts. I've got my optimal performance emotions that I'm going to choose. And I have what I call superchargers. So I tell myself things like, if I'm getting ready to speak to, let's say, 18,000 people, right? I don't know any of them, but I'll tell myself up front, it's all a mind game. I, I say, I love being with this team. They're like my friends and family. I connected with them instantly and we had a blast. I used my whole voice and body to make what I said fascinating, right? So I've got little things that just trigger me to, if I was not in the right emotional state, I'm going to get myself in the right emotional state. I don't, I don't just say those things. Sometimes I don't say them out loud, but I say them with feeling, even if it's internal. Then I tell myself, I'm loving, caring, connected. I get into my emotions. I'm certain and committed. I'm playful and having fun. I literally have this menu of emotions that I get myself feeling before I ever go in. And then I tell myself some little phrases like, let's go, have some fun. I love this. And when I do that, it takes like two minutes. I can change anything. Like I flew over to uh, the Middle East and actually I missed my flight. So I had to take another flight and I got in two hours before I was supposed to teach the first full day of three days of leadership training. So no sleep. I slept a little bit on the plane, but... I had to get in, took a shower, different time zone, and I felt like crap. And but I just used my mantra, changed the way I, I, you know, my body, my posture, my energy, and I went in there and and we kicked ass. And anyone can do that. Like I don't drink caffeine. I've never liked coffee, but I know how to energize myself, and any human being can do that. When our sales reps, I think the most nerve wracking time for a brand new sales rep is they ring a doorbell and they can like hear the person coming down the stairs or whatever. And you, the two words nervous and excited, there's a huge difference between the sales rep that's nervous and the one that's excited. And usually yep. it comes down to their preparation before they've gone out to work that day. Right. Or when they're first getting started And I'm a huge believer when our, when our sales reps first start that they need a master or at least really feel confident in the in-home part of the presentation. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think a lot of guys spend all their time focusing on the door approach and like having this great door approach. But my, my thought on it, and I'm actually kind of curious to hear what you think about this is I actually think sales reps will subconsciously, it's almost like a baseball, like a shortstop who is not confident. And he's like, please don't hit the ball to me because I'm afraid I can't make the throw or I'm afraid sure. I can't, or like a, a receiver who's like, please don't throw it to me because I, my confidence is low and I'm not, a, I'm not confident I can catch the ball right now, you know? And, yeah. and it happens to really talented people. So I think that sometimes sales reps will subconsciously not want to get in a home or be so nervous about getting in a sure. home because no matter how good their door approach is, they will not try the, as hard to get in because they're afraid if they get in, they won't know what to do. And then sure. you have the rep who is really confident with their in-home presentation who may not even have as great of a door approach, but they're so excited 
about the job and about what they can do with a customer and the opportunity, we'll see sales reps with horrible door approaches making mm-hmm. sales because they're so confident that once they're in a home, they can, you know, articulate the offer and, you know, kind of walk yeah. them down the path. So, so I don't know. I'm kind of curious to hear like your thoughts on from a sales standpoint, do you, yeah. do you, you know, that nervous versus excited mentality, like how do you, uh, I guess, I guess just your thoughts on kind well, of. So think about it. They uh, we're transferring emotion. We transfer emotion. We say, you know, we've got the words we're saying, but what you're really transferring is emotion. And so imagine you, you guys, someone knocking on your door, maybe not selling solar, but something else. And, you know, they, they show up and they're like super nervous and they don't, they, they don't look like they know what they're doing. You're not going to be as like open to them. You know, you want someone showing up that's going to project some confidence. That's going to, that's going to actually feel like inside of them that I'm talking about the person ringing the doorbell that's going to feel inside of them. Like I'm here to help you. I'm here to make your life better. You know, when someone's nervous, I tell people all the time, nervousness is a selfish emotion. Adam, who do you have to focus on to be nervous? Um, yourself. I'm going to get yeah, yeah, yourself. It's you. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're <laughs> yeah. the, you're the only person that can make you. Yeah. Make am I, I going to do okay? Are they going to like me? You know, is this going to go well? Yeah. It's not about you. You're not ringing a doorbell for you. You're ringing a doorbell to help another human being or help a family. And so it's a really powerful transfer. We transfer emotion. We transfer emotion. So when I show, when I kind of talk to you through my mantra, what I'm doing is I'm just creating emotion. Like even think of that one uh, statement I had. It's the second one I have in my optimal performance thoughts, or I call them OPTs. I tell myself, uh, well, first one is I, I, I loved being with this team, like past tense, like it already happened. I love being with this Think about someone ringing a doorbell. I love being with this family. They're like my friends and family. If you felt like, if you felt like ringing a doorbell, oh, this this person's like my friend without even seeing them, like my friends, friends and family. I'm, I'm, this is just like seeing my friends and family. What starts to happen? You feel different when you sh- when you show up feeling different, like friend or family member, even though they're a stranger, they feel different. They feel your vibe. It's a different energy. You're not even saying a word yet. It will influence the way you say those words. Friends and family, you know, I, I'm warm, I'm open, I'm playing around. Like you guys, I feel like you're my friends and first time I've ever met you. And, but I do this, I do this all around the world. I do it with everybody that I talk to, friends and family. I just go in with that idea in my head. It doesn't make sense logically, but life is a mind game. I'm playing a game inside my head. I'm telling myself a story that's not accurate per se, but it becomes what I operate off of and it makes it easier for me, for me to help people and do my best. Well, it's uh, so you know, true. My mom, like, probably just like all of you, my mom told me when I was growing up, don't talk to strangers. And then what do we do for a living, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're <not> and then <laughs> I'm speaking to people I don't know, right? So my mom must I not have told me that. that story. <laughs> Your mom she, never told you that? She must not have because literally like okay. we both serve church service missions and we've just been knocking. Since I've been an adult, I've pretty much just been approaching strangers. But um, what you're talking about is, so Adam and I have the, the interesting experience of seeing multiple teams that do the same job that are composed of relatively the same demographic and on like close days, like I'm seeing a team tomorrow and the next day and the next day and man, walking in the room, it's like walking into someone else's family. You know, like when you're a kid, like if you sleep over at my house, it's like, 
my family's all I know, but to you, you might be like, this is weird, you know? And mm. I had a had an experience a couple weeks ago. I've been traveling a lot and I was with one team and I left. I had so many good ideas just from observing the team. I've, mm. I've thought about it in retrospect. And I was like, man, that team is so good. And then I visited one just recently where I was like, like I didn't even want to be in the meeting, let alone like the guys. And so I think it's interesting you talking about um, like you showing up to kind of serve the people that you're addressing rather than it's not like, Hey, I want to give a good presentation. It's like, I need to, to, to help you. You literally as a leader have the opportunity to elevate an entire group of people. But if you're focused inward, it doesn't help the feeling in the room and you feel bad. You know what I mean? Yeah. As yeah. I, as I, as I drove in this morning, I was listening to, you have a YouTube clip. I don't know if you remember this exact one, but you're talking about a quote, one of your favorite quotes by Einstein. And it talks about energy and how energy is actually physics, right? It's, it's, it's physics. And, you know, and I had this thought as I was listening to that, um, YouTube video it was like, we sell energy. Like mm-hmm. that's true of any salesperson, but we yeah. actually, that we sell energy, right? Like, we sell as leaders, we sell that energy to our people and then they go literally sell energy that people are going to power their lives with. But yeah. I don't think people often tune their own energy to use it as the tool that's as powerful as it is. No, that's, that's a cool insight too. We sell energy. And when you're, when you say you're selling energy, you know, you're talking about the person ringing the doorbell, you're talking about, you know, up on your roof, we're going to allow you to generate energy. But at the same time, if you're not generating energy inside mm-hmm. that person, not generating your side, that, that is, that is connecting that energy to energize the person you're talking to, they're probably not going to buy the thing on top of their roof. Yeah. So, and, and here's the thing, like I was growing up shy, introverted, not that confident. I did not know how to monitor my story or any of the stuff that I've learned how to do. Everything I'm good at now, I used to suck at. But when I first took over, you know, leading all sales and marketing for Tony Robbins, I got in there. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> I was like 25 years old and, and I had to learn. I had to get better at it. Speaking, I blew it. He put me in front of a thousand people and I totally embarrassed myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, now I do it for a living. So I'm a big believer in what you are now doesn't determine who you're going to be. And, and that's why, you know, the Breakthrough Code was, was really a work of passion. It's like, how do you get beyond? I don't know if you heard one of the quotes that I, I always tell people is you're under no obligation to be the exact same person you were five minutes ago. And that's my passion for getting people beyond that because they keep trying to carry that same person forward, which parts of it, fine, but the parts that you don't need, let go. This can be learned. I'm still probably introverted, but I, I live very extroverted when I need to. I know how to flip a switch. It's not like you've got to be energized 24-7. I'm not. You know, when I get off with you guys, I'm going to chill out a little bit, right? It's going to – I actually have another meeting, but so I, maybe I <laughs> but won't. Later, but, but later. Yeah, later on <laughs> at some point I will. I'm not, you know, going around the whole house. Hey, how's everybody doing today? So <laughs> it, you don't have to be like that. It's, it, it's situational. When, when someone else – is counting on you to energize them to be able to really take advantage of the help that you can give them. You better provide the energy because if you don't, they're not gonna they're not gonna want to act on something that you know you're selling energy. They're not gonna want to act on something that's low energy. That's coming from someone with low energy. It just doesn't vibe right. But that's true I, in any industry, not just where you're selling energy. My brother that I work with always that exact 
um, thing you were just talking about is he always says, when you have a captive audience, you have to perform. And we've ha- we've hired a lot of people to come speak to our groups. We have a lot of these calls. We have a lot of podcasts. And it's funny. I can always tell when he's disappointed because he's like, you had a captive audience. They were, <laughs> <laughs> you had a captive audience, man. That shot was wide open. And you just missed it. Uh, one of my yeah. other directors always says, eh, it was underwhelming. It's like, man, I'd rather suck than be underwhelming. Underwhelming is so... Yeah, that was disappointing. Yeah, <laughs> you know, well, it's like, like a, a, a like greyhound dogs are some of the laziest dogs there are. But then when the gun sounds, damn. they're the fastest yeah. dog on the planet, right? So I didn't know. Kind of be like that. Cool. You got to be yeah. a greyhound. So you like eat pressure for breakfast, yeah. but not always for dinner. There's a time for that. Yeah. You know. Um, <laughs> hey, we're gonna let you. We're gonna let you go. We got to wrap up too. Um, oh, well, yeah. Hold on. Let's t- tell us first. Where can our guys find you? How do they get your book? Like, how do we do all that stuff? Yeah, thanks for asking. So the breakthroughcode.com, the breakthroughcode.com right now is uh, is going live and the book's not out till January, but if you pre-order it, you'll be able to get it right when it comes out and also we've got a master class as a bonus that normally is like 500 bucks that or 495 that you'll be able to get with that and you'll be able to actually start getting some of the lessons from the master class uh, right away. And then also tommccarthy.com is my one of my other sites uh, where they can look at that too. But the breakthroughcode.com, I, I'm really excited about this book. It's it's an allegory, it's a parable, so it's kind of a fun read, but the lessons, the lessons that are embedded, I think will change a lot of people's lives. Mm. Well, let's say this, Adam, I feel like we don't ask a lot of the electric people in the world, like our listeners, like they have to open their app and you know they put their Tesla in autopilot and listen as they drive to work. <laughs> Buy the book. Just buy the book, mm. pre-order the book, get the masterclass. We'll do it with you. Yep. But no, Tom, this has been an incredible value add today. You actually, you, your your energy is contagious. You've you sparked a lot of thoughts that I want to go right down after this. We don't always listen to these afterwards, but there's a lot of really important and really valuable things that that are directly applicable to to our community. So we just want to say yeah. thank you. I mean, you donated of your time today to to do this for us, and and it was a massive uplift. So thank you. I was thinking yeah. like half the time we were listening. I'm like, I'm gonna go back re-listen to it, yeah. take notes, like figure out how to apply it to the teams, like all those kinds of things as well. So really, really good stuff. Are you, are you on social media at all? Not really. I, I mean, we're starting to, but I was never had to do that. You know, we have a big business going to business to business. So we are starting to do a YouTube channel and some of these things now that we're launching the book out. But I am on uh, Instagram. I'm on uh, the Tom McCarthy. Uh, so that'd be a good one. And then we have a YouTube. I, I'm not sure what exactly that. You're not, you're that, not hard to find. Uh, yeah. You're not hard to okay. find, we'll find on it. YouTube. Yeah. yeah. The algorithm but, works for you. So yeah, <laughs> they, they but I do want up. to say this you guys, you guys are amazing. I can tell you're really enlightened leaders. Your team is lucky to have you too. And, and the fact that you keep learning and growing and you still look relatively young, I, I'm very impressed. And I hope you guys keep in touch with me because I'd love to learn from you too. Also. Well, thank you so much, Tom. And we'll definitely do that. So thank you. And thank you guys for joining us. This has been another episode of Electric People. If you've liked what you've heard and are interested in joining our teams, just DM us on Instagram and one of us will reach out about how to join this dynamic opportunity. You want to come be a part of the best sales team, solar team in the industry? Hit us up. Sunrun. Thanks for hanging out with us today. This is Electric People. Take these principles and go be electric.